The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. How long should a leader remain a leader? That's the question we'll be tackling on this week's Views Room, a weekly conversation among Breaking Views columnists about the ups and downs of the world of finance. I'm Anthony Curry, and my co-host is Jennifer Saber. Hi, Jen. Hello. And we also have on the line from Washington, Chris Bedor. Hi, Chris. Hi, guys. And uh, speaking of leaders, we also have our new Lord and Master, uh, John Foley, US editor, in the uh, studio with us. Hi, John. This leader will remain a leader for a very long time. Hi, sir, I suppose I should be saying, yes. So, um, actually, John, you're the one who, who prompted the, the idea of doing this as a, as a big discussion on, on leadership. So, because, you know, we were looking at, at China last week abolishing its two-term limit for, um, for the presidency. So, uh, Xi Jinping can now stay in power indefinitely if he chooses to. And meanwhile, we also had uh, last week and this week news about out of Goldman Sachs that Lloyd Blankfein is almost certainly going to step down pretty soon, admittedly after 12 or so years on the job. So what, what is it about these two very different institutions, you know, a, a basically communist style government and uh, one of Wall Street's best known investment banks and their leadership that got you thinking there, there, there is something here that we should we should jump onto. Well, you've got these two, very, obviously, as you say, very different institutions. One is Goldman Sachs. The other is the Communist Party of China. I would argue they are different. And they're both wrestling with a kind of similar problem, which is when you have a boss who you believe to be basically a good one or the best one for the time being, how do you keep them and how long is too long and when should they know when to go? So China has changed, literally ripped up the rules as far as we can tell, to allow Xi Jinping to retain power for basically ever, for the rest of his natural life, as far as we can tell. Goldman Sachs, though, which has a long-serving CEO in the form of Lord Blankfein, Blankfein now is, according to a report in the Wall Street Journal, is planning to retire. So although investors weren't asking him to go, and in theory, he probably could have continued until he died at his desk, which I think he actually at one stage threatened to do. Um, he's it may have been a joke, a bit like his head. God's work uh, pun. Right, of course, he said he was doing God's work, which again is another probable comparison with the Chinese Communist Party, <laughs> which also believes itself to be doing God's work. So the question is, when does the, when should a CEO stay longer than is the norm, and when should they go? Okay, well, what, what is the norm? There are so many different stats out there. I've seen seven years, nine years, depends on the study, the year it's done. Um, what are you seeing for, um, let's, let's, let's leave um, government out of this for now. What are you seeing about CEOs? Well, so obviously I'm, I, I came from London to now based in New York, and there are two very different cultures in those two countries when it comes to deciding how long a chief executive should stay. So the average, there was a PricewaterhouseCoopers survey last year on this that said that the average US CEO tenure is eight years, and it has been getting longer. Um, now, Lloyd Blankfein, of course, has been around for something like 12 years, and you have some CEOs who've been there for multiples of that. Uh, in the UK, though, it's actually getting shorter, and it's about five years. So CEOs... Tend to, tend to come and go more quickly. That, of course, means that they've got generally less experience. And you do have some very long-serving ones, too. But there is much more of a sense that shareholders want people not to outstay their welcome. Whereas in the US, I think if you're doing a good job, investors are much more tolerant of you sticking around for a long time. Um, so, I mean, let's bring you in on this, Chris. Since we, we, we started off talking about China, what's your thinking on, on, on why China would want to have um, a leader stay on, or, or I suppose she stay on, uh, rather than a leader, an, an, an actual um, distinct leader, stay on for longer than the term limit. I mean, is, are they just caving into the power he's already amassed, or is there something about she that makes him um, worth having for longer than those two terms? 
Yeah, I mean, I think to answer that question, you almost have to go back to the late Hu Jintao and Wen Jiabao era, circa 2010 to 2012 or so. Um, there was there was definitely a feeling within the party that things were not looking good, uh, that the party's continued rule, its outlook, um, was trending in a direction that would mean less party control. Um, and so you started to get a lot of this talk about they would look at uh, say the PRI in Mexico and say, oh, it's you know seventy year lifespan of of one party rule or something to that effect. Um, so there was definitely an appetite around 2012, 2013 when she comes into power that we need more strong leadership to kind of guide us forward. Now I think what he's done since then is very carefully uh, and very cleverly so, uh, maintained his power by selecting his allies. Um, boosting some parts of the bureaucracy, kind of demoting others. And so by the time you do get to this point where um, in the past few weeks we've seen the last of the kind of formal rules to him staying on have been removed, I, I think by this point the number of people who can really stand up to him and say no uh, are are very few, are, are shockingly few at this point. So I think the question is almost less, you know, why would China want Xi to stay on and more how could this individual stay on, assuming that he, you know, he wanted to all along? So with Xi Jinping, I was lucky enough to be in Beijing in 2012 when the leadership transition in China took place. And the thing that everyone who was there at the time felt was palpable in the air was this anxiety over shifting to a new, relatively untested leader. And this, uh, the question of whether the Communist Party of China would actually be able to survive the shift. It happened at the same time, roughly speaking, as um, as, as Bo Xilai, who was like a political hotshot, was being basically purged from the party because he posed a threat to the to the normal way of doing things for the Communist Party. But like, this idea that, you know, you I can understand why they would say, it's best to just keep Xi in place because it's going to be very difficult for us to survive another uh, another kind of bumpy transition, which again makes me think of companies like Goldman Sachs or Warren Buffett at Berkshire Hathaway when you say, like, it's all very well saying we should change leader after a few years, but will the company survive that? Like, what's going to happen without this kind of stable pair of hands that's kind of known and trusted? Well, all, all good companies as, you know, probably governments such as they are, um, should have some sort of plan to survive it, though. I mean, that's what sort of like no company should be bigger than or no one guy should be bigger than the company. Right. And and so you sort of see that in this entrenchment. And yeah, Jamie Dimon, for example, has done a, you know, a fairly good job. Right. Anthony, yeah. like you could say he's he's been good for the company. Uh, there are other examples like Bob Iger, for example, at, at Disney. Um, he's been um, at the company f- since 2005 as, as CEO. Um, and he's, his shareholders have done quite well by him. You know, their shares are up, you know, more than three times since he's come on board as, you know, the leader. But at some point you've got to say, okay, well, what's your plan? What are you going to do? Who's going to be next? What if you get hit by a bus, for example, as, you know... One of the things that I've noticed that's interesting, though, in the last few months is that some companies have been wrestling with exactly that problem that you talk about, Jen. You don't want to be a lame duck, but you also want to tell investors that there is a plan if you die at your desk or go under a bus. And so companies like JP Morgan, as you said, Jamie Dimon there, like Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway, um, the idea that you you build a kind of triangular structure, you have the boss. And then you have two other bosses underneath who are also called like the co-presidents or something. And the idea is that 
Um, one of them probably is going to be the boss one day, but you don't quite know which, which means that they fight each other instead of fighting you, the boss. And it means that everyone else in the company still looks to you for leadership rather than just assuming that you basically are now in irrelevance and going straight to the person who you've anointed. It is very similar to China in the sense that this lame duck issue, well, it's it's more than a lame junk issue. I mean, the worst case scenario for a CEO is that you just get kind of booted out a bit earlier than you wanted to and get a little bit more less money over your lifetime. But for if you're a you know, like she, he is not anointed his successor. And it's no secret that just the bane of communist systems everywhere is successorship. You only have to look to, you know, the early 1980s and Soviet Union to see that. And so the thinking, at least among some in Beijing, is that the reason she didn't want to appoint a successor right now was um, this lame duck problem. But it's also that if he wanted to stay on for a third term, you get to the end of the second term, it's a lot easier when there's someone else who had been appointed the successor five years earlier. Maybe that person now has a lot of shiny new friends on the central committee and among the military. Uh, very easy for that person to kind of give the incumbent a bit of a nudge out than if the incumbent doesn't really have a successor in waiting and says, well, you know, I, I have to finish the job now. I've got to stay on and really make sure this anti-corruption business is finished. It's just very different dynamic when you when you name someone and create another power base like that. Well, another thing that we've seen uh, recently is in the flip side of this argument is that um, too, too much change and too much turnover is disruptive. So that could be an issue. I don't know if that's an issue in the UK if the tenure is shorter as CEOs. And we've certainly seen it in the US government uh, lately with um, Absolutely. Uh, President Trump's cabinet members, um, many of whom have sort of walked out the door, have been fired or whatever. It just seems like a constant uh, revolving door of people, um, which seems incredibly disruptive. But, you know, I, I don't know, John, maybe you have some thoughts on, on how that works in the UK. So this goes back to that question of what is the right length of time for a CEO. And again, like there, I think it's difficult to know because if you're there for not very long and you don't expect to be there for very long, you may not take tough decisions. You may not have the kind of capital, if you like, the personal um, respect among your employees and customers to make tough decisions. However, if you've been there for a very long time, you may be less inclined to make those tough decisions because you're kind of pretty comfortable. And there's there actually an interesting study on this from a few years ago that was done by the University of Missouri that looked at how long chief executives stay and found that in the States, at least, in, the, in America, chief executives basically tend to stay for about three years longer than they should. So the optimum is about five um, they tend to stay for about eight. And after five, the results get less good for shareholders. And one of the things that they specifically found there was that um, the longer the CEO is in place, the better the company's relationship with its employees, but the worse the relationship is with its customers. So it's kind of a trade-off, right? The CEO's been there a long time. They care what the employees think. They care about the employees. It's all like a big happy family. And, and it's stability, right? Because anytime a new leader comes on, basically what happens is like they replace their the next layer below them. And then it's sort of this cascading effect of, you know, what where's my job? What's going to happen? What role is there for the CEO? I mean, John, you were bringing up an important point earlier about or interesting point about uh, Huawei in, the, in China, where they, they have three CEOs who spend six months on the job uh, each time, which sounds interesting if different. But doesn't that basically tell us that the CEO is nowhere near as important as we'd like to think he or she is? I think a good CEO is the kind of CEO who can motivate investors and staff, but actually could also go under a bus and leave a company that still works 
pretty smoothly. Right, then I've got a really interesting example for you. Bob Wilmers, who was CEO of M&T Banker, $120, 30000000000 billion uh, of assets, uh, regional bank in the US, died on the job this year after 30-plus years in the job, and they replaced him first with three people for a few days and then with a the CEO. The stock's doing fine. No one's really left. And he's been there for, for decades. So who cares? He did a good job, and someone else has taken over. Again, what matters as a CEO? I would also say, though, that a CEO that really clings on is probably um, something that investors should be worried about, not necessarily because they don't do a good job, but because you stifle talent and good people will leave. And this is a problem that companies like JP Morgan may find themselves having, is that the people who could be the, an amazing CEO in 10 years' time just look up the ladder and say, I'm never going to get there, yeah. and they go elsewhere. So, like, so the CEO that knows when to quit is a rare and valuable corporate asset. And you would want to quit on top, <laughs> right? So you <laughs> when things think. when things are you know things are turning up roses. Yeah, you don't want to be like Jimmy Kane at Bear Sands and quitting right before but, your investment bank goes under. But back to your point, John. Oftentimes, CEOs kind of hang around too long when things start to fall apart, and then the whole legacy of you know this person did a great job. You know, your stock is up X percent starts to fray. Um, and you know, we're all there's lots of concern about Xi Jinping scrapping the terminals, but it, but if Xi Jinping is a really smart leader, he will retire voluntarily um, when he's got a decent successor, and he'll use this new power wisely rather than just making the mistakes that some other predecessors have done and just leaving the place in a in a real mess. Spare the rod and spoil the CEO. <laughs> <laughs> so says our leader. <laughs> yeah. John, you're leaving in five years, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Seven. All right. So we'll leave it there, John. We hope you're with us for a very long time. Um, that's our show for this week. I'd like to thank John Foley and Chris Bedore for joining us. And kudos to our producers, Freddie Joyner, Ben Kellerman, and Andrew D'Antonio. And our final thanks go to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Check us out every day at breakingviews.com. Subscribe to The Views Room on iTunes. And please do share your opinions about our show. Join us again next week for another edition.